Hello, and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast is for crafters of all ages and walks of life who love connecting with other crafters, making crafts a lifestyle, or ready to turn their crafts into a profitable side business. Tune in weekly for honest conversations and interviews about industry news, trends, lifestyle, and business. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Crafty Hands Club podcast. Today's guest is someone that is interesting and has accomplished um, quite a bit of things lately. She's a diehard beater and She has a group called Rock, Paper, Scissors, and she also uh, have done partnerships and collaborations with companies, including Michael's. And today she's going to talk about another component of her craft journey that includes teaching crafters how to create systems so that they can be more effective and efficient. Today, our guest is Miss Adrian Singleton. Hey. Hello, Adrian. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. Oh, no problem. So, Adrian, uh, could you tell us who you are and what you do? And we can go from there. Awesome. So, I'm Adrian. I am a single mother. I am a God-fearing woman. I am a daughter, you know, a sister. I am a full-time employee as well as a full-time entrepreneur, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I actually have been a crafter at heart since, I feel like since birth. I mean, I, I can't prove that, but I feel like it's been since birth. I've been crafting as long as I can remember. And I didn't originally start it off as a business. I just started off doing what I love to do for friends, family. I mean, I've done everything from decorating birthday parties, you know, creating favors. I mean, if someone needed something crafty done, they were going to call on me. Um, And it didn't help that a lot of my friends were also crafty people. So it's just been a part of my life for a very long time. However, when I got into crafting for business, it was actually in 2012, I fell and broke my wrist in three places, walking down some stairs, just basically a fluke accident. And I was out of work for about six weeks. And during that time, I wasn't getting paid. So I it was around Christmas time. It was probably around like October. And when I went back to work, um, it was around Christmas time. And I was just now starting to get a paycheck. So I had this bright idea because I had been had a love for beaded bracelets. I was like, you know what? I'm going to finally try to make my own, you know, and I'm going to give them to my friends and family for Christmas gifts. I thought that would save me money, but I quickly found out that that did not save me any money. <laughs> more money. Get expensive. Listen, and I was buying them, you know, retail. It was really a mess. But the tragedy proved to be something that actually pushed me into starting a business. I gave out, I would say I gave away 
like 27 bracelets to my close friends and family. And my family is huge. And their responses were crazy. Like they were like, I need more, you know, you should make these and sell them, you know. And I was I was working full time then, but, you know, it was an opportunity to do something else that I loved and they wanted to pay me. So naturally, yes, sure. You know, so I started a business from there. I had only corporate experience. I didn't have any entrepreneur experience. I didn't have any um, education in business. I um, didn't have any mentorship. I wasn't going to school for anything. Like I was literally winging it um, from that moment. And that was, like I said, in 2012. Now, fast forward, um, my business name is Unique Designs. And what I do is create a unique experience for women, men, um, who love details. I create handcrafted jewelry, accessories, and stationary products. And everything that I do is very, very detailed, very, a lot of attention to the details and the, the small things, you know, I take my time. Um, I've developed my craft over the last 10 years to be what it is now from the beaded bracelet now to necklaces, earrings, um, paper crafts. I actually have my latest craze is my paper earrings where I make earrings out of cardstock. Um, and they're not your, what you would think. It's not like a little flimsy earring or whatever. It's a quality, sturdy, um, lasting earring. It's a lasting piece of jewelry. And I'm really proud of that because I was able to marry two things that I love so much, bees, jewelry, and paper. And mm -hmm. it's like, it's like the best of both worlds, right? <laughs> so that is something that I've I've been doing, like handcrafted things. That's that's my love, you know, and my passion is using that to make other people smile and make their day. So again, I didn't have any business experience, and that was 10 years ago. If I fast forward to 2016, I actually got pregnant. And I started, you know, you know, pregnancy comes with sleepiness. You know, that was my, this is my only baby. And I got tired, you know, because I was hustling and bustling, working full time and doing vendor shows and all of that. I had to calm down with all of that. But I was only pregnant for three and a half months. No, seven and a half months, something like that. Um, my daughter ended up coming out three and a half months early. So she was premature. That changed my life, um, naturally. She was hospitalized in the NICU for three and a half months, her full term. And during that time, I didn't pick up a bead. I didn't do anything creative. Um, my full attention was on her, right? So a couple things. First of all, um, that was, I'm sure that was quite an adjustment. Uh, usually, especially you were already carrying a child and doing everything you needed to do to make sure the baby will be healthy. You know, that's the goal of every mom out here, mother to be out here. And then to find out that your child is coming early and not just a week early. But we're talking how how early because you I heard three and a half months and then I heard three and a half weeks. So did did the ba did your daughter come three months earlier or was it almost a month earlier? No, she came three and a half months early. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm she, sorry if I said weeks. Yeah, it was months for sure. So she was really like at five and a half months. Yeah, she was born one pound, 11.5 ounces. Um, I was 24 weeks in one day. Oh, wow. So uh, can, can you talk about that a little bit? Because having a child in NCIU, that's that's a lot. And, you know, it, you know, going every day, seeing your child and sometimes a premature baby is in there for months at a time before they come home, sometimes almost a year before they come home. Could you talk about what that was like, um, you know, being, you know, having a premature baby and, you know, just spending days at NCIU? It's really, honestly, it's hard to even put into words because, I again, this is my first child. So I had no knowledge of how, you know, a connection with the baby really is. I hear about it, but I didn't really know. But what stands out to me is, I had a cesarean. She, her heart rate started to drop. I actually had an infection of some sort. So they ended up, it was kind of like a rushed cesarean. So mm-hmm. I went from being on bed rest in the hospital to doctors coming in, getting me ready to go have a C-section. My mom wasn't there. I was like, oh my God, my mom, I need my mom to hold my hand, you know? So when I had her, when they pulled her out, I couldn't hold her. Um, she didn't cry. You know, those are things that stand out to me because I knew they had taken this baby out of me and the doctor brought her by as she was going to put her in this. I don't know what they call it, where where they go and do all the things to make sure she's okay, check her body out. You know, it was like several nurses around her. You know, I could see it like in a distance, but Mm -hmm. not being able to touch her in that moment after seeing so many movies and all that kind of stuff where people, the baby comes out and they hold the baby, you know, that whole experience, it was different, you know, and it was, if I did not have a strong relationship with God, I know that that experience would have broke me down. But even going forward to going back into recovery, getting ready to go see her for the first time, being introduced to the NICU, it is overwhelming. Um, It's a place where there are a whole bunch of babies around. It's a lot of machines and, you know, it's a lot of uncertainty. But I think for me, the only thing that kept me strong and going in that in that experience was, like I said, my relationship with God, because I just didn't know. There was no way to know what was going to happen from one minute to the next, one day to the next, one um, month to the next. It's a roller coaster. The doctors and nurses are throwing all of these statistics at you. I mean, it's very overwhelming. It is very overwhelming, especially for someone who, A, doesn't have any other kids, you know, has not had gone through, you know, the whole experience before. And also who's actually doing this by themselves, you know? Of course. Yeah. And not to make it about myself, um, but I, I do understand what you mean. Uh, my son, who's... uh who will be two in a couple of months. He wasn't premature. He, he, he did come three weeks earlier, but his heart and stuff was, you know, fully functional, but I was induced to labor because I had gastinial diabetes while I was pregnant. And I was already told that they were going to keep him a week after 
I have him so that they could monitor his levels to make sure everything was fine, you know, and also have, you know, a final echocardiogram where they monitor the heart rate to make sure that everything is um, functional. Okay. So just like you, first time mom, and I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old at the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so just about, you know, married 12 years, 40 years old, first, first time mom, you know, during the pandemic. So going through all of this and then to be induced to labor, I'm medicated for nine hours. And then they say, we're going to have to do a C-section. And, you know, at that point, you kind of like, okay, should I call my mom or should I tell, you know, close family or should I just go ahead and do it? And then I was like, I'd rather let them know than for something to happen. And then they find out that way. So my husband said, okay, well, you know, call. And then my husband didn't really kind of deal with it too, too well because it's like, okay, you got to have surgery. So uh, I remember, you know, calling my mom and that was a lot, you know, she didn't, she didn't take it too well, but she said, mm-hmm. okay, you know, just, just keep her posted. But, you know, thanks to God, everything went well, but that room is something like you see on TV. It's almost like going into an orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. You're the main stage, everybody, you know, from the neonatal nurse, the anesthesiologist, the surgeon, everybody's placed in, in their um particular spot. And the the difference is when they, I didn't even know that he was out of me uh, because I was under. And my husband said, there's the baby. And I was like, okay. And I didn't see him. And then they brought him over because he was quiet. He didn't come out crying and screaming mm-hmm. like both babies. And um, then they did something. And then we heard him, you know, cry. And then they brought him over and let him see me. And he saw me. And I said, and I said, hey, young man. <laughs> and so he, after that, he went on to sleep. Oh, wow. That, that was, you know, I guess it was like, okay, I hear mommy's voice. Now I can go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's a lot. It's something, I think it's something that women don't talk about enough. You know, when they're going through the prenatal care and, you know, especially uh, moms of premature babies. Mm -hmm. I've heard more stories with uh, NICU, but I think it's more stories of that that needs to be told. So you you went through um, this. Now, how long was your daughter in in, um, NICU? She was in there until almost her due date. So she was supposed to be born November 20-something. I think maybe the 27th and she left the hospital November 15th. Okay. So she was in there for three and a half months Mm -hmm. and then to transition, you know, from the care where it's care around the clock Mm -hmm. to at home, you know, and at home, you know, you don't have the same setup (laughs) as a hospital. Yeah. You got to, you know, it's like, Honestly, it's like a real world because, you know, everything is there. And then sometimes hospital staff can, they want to implement stuff. And you like, wait a minute, I don't have that kind of setup at home. 
you know, like, can you do something that I can mimic when we get home? Right. <laughs> so how was, you know, how was that like for you to, um, did you feel like a part of you was was disconnected when you brought her home because you were months without having her there I could just imagine because I was without my my kid for a week and I felt like oh my gosh I need to you know I can't wait till you get home but three and a half months I can only imagine what was going through your mind man the thing about me I was at the hospital every day (laughs) me too (laughs) I, I stayed out of work probably about a month and then I went back to work and even when I was going to work like my days were long and Mm -hmm. I'm in Atlanta my the hospital she was born at is in the city but I lived in the suburbs so I would go to work in the city I would leave the leave the job go straight to the hospital I would stay there until 10 11 o'clock at night because I wanted to get my my um what you call skin to skin time you know I wanted to get all of the things that I could get while I was there, if there was a feeding, I wanted to be there. You know, I wanted to make sure I was present, not only just for her, but to make sure that the staff, the nurses, the doctors understood that I'm here. And the sad thing is there were babies in there who I never saw their parents. And I spent a lot of time there. And that motivated me to be there even more, right? Because I'm seeing these yeah. babies whose moms aren't there, you know? And I know mm-hmm. they tell you when you get in there that what helps the baby to be strong and keep keep fighting is you, your energy, you know, knowing that you're here rooting for them and being positive is what pushes them, you know? So the thing for me was, again, I keep stressing that I don't have any more kids. Now I have family and friends with kids, but it's a different ballgame when it's yours. Okay. Totally (laughs) different. Yeah. I'm talking about nurses, staff around the clock. They are trained. Um, They have all of the things. I watched my baby DSAT in turn blue twice when she was in the hospital. One time, just before she came home, I there was a policy where the day that she was coming home, you had to spend the night at the hospital the night before. They will give you a like a hospital, regular hospital room, but they wanted you to come in, do the feedings, do everything overnight. And basically take time breaks and go sleep and come back into the NICU because they wanted to make sure you could do the stuff. You know, you could keep up with her. Um, i never forget they had scheduled me for for my, you know, my overnight stay or whatever. And that day she desat it. And what that means is her levels dropped. She wasn't breathing properly because, you know, it's a rhythm they have to get. She didn't get couldn't get the rhythm and she stopped breathing in my arms. So they had to rush in and revive her. And I was frozen because I'm like, what? She about to come home with me like this? You know, I flipped out. Like, I'm not even going to lie. I was like, I can't take her home. I, I don't want that responsibility. I feel like y'all are rushing it. You know, she needs to stay here. I don't have this equipment. I don't have the staff. Like, I freaked out. You know, I was terrified. I did not want to hurt her, you know? And right. so they didn't care. <laughs> they were like, no, you'll be fine. You can do this. She's fine. It just, you know, they had an explanation for what happened. Um, and they really still wanted me to take her home. So I remember when I took her home the next day, I was literally in tears. I was praying, but I was also just like scared because I just, 
I was like, can I handle this? Now, mind you, I've been at the hospital every day. I watch everything that they do. I've taken notes. I have notebooks still to this day. I have notebooks of notes that I took from being in that hospital every day. But when it turns around and you're telling me to take her home away from all of this security that I'm getting from, you know, the hospital and everything that they have, it just really scared me. So mm-hmm. I didn't sleep when we got home for a couple of days. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't go to sleep. I felt like I needed to watch her. I needed to make sure she was breathing. I needed to make sure I had everything I needed to have. You know, she came home on a monitor. That's a whole training I had to have. You know, they make you take CPR. So now I'm worried about, am I going to have to revive her? Like it was so much pressure. It was so much pressure, but yeah. I did it. You know, I, I still to this day look back and like, how did I get this far in this, this thing? Like, I can't believe it. You know, you never know just how much you can do until you're put in situations where you're left with basically no other choice. And, you know, motherhood is one of them, right? Like when you, I tell people when you are carrying a kid, you put up with stuff that you usually wouldn't put up with when you are not pregnant. Like, at the same times, if you'd have told me a couple years ago I needed to do this or do that, I would not have done it. Mm-hmm. But then when you carry a little one inside you, your your mindset changes long before the baby comes. Yeah. And and when the baby is there, mm-hmm. you know, you find you know, you parenthood makes you figure out stuff yeah. and it makes you adjust on a dime because you don't know two days are alike. Mm-hmm. You know, like one day may be good, smooth sailing, the next day nothing you do is right. Right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you know, and so first of all, I give my hat off to you and other single moms that are out here doing this day in and day out because it's not easy. It's not glamorous. Like people make it to be on the Instagram photos Mm. or on TV. (laughs) You know, you see those pictures where the mom have like her Louis Vuitton bag and then (laughs) her shopping bags and she and her stilettos. But that is not every day. (laughs) Like you barely you know, the challenge is getting yourself ready and getting your little one ready and trying to get both of you all on time exactly. for the day. That That is a challenge. So, uh, for, again, I commend you and all the other single moms out here in the world that are doing this um, because I'm married. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is a lot. And I have an active husband that really helps out with our son. But it's still a lot. You know, it's still a lot. So I commend you all for what you do and, you know, hanging in there and doing the best you all can do. You know, because, again, it don't come with a manual. And, um, you know, some things you you just don't know. And you try to do what you can with what you have at the time. Yes. Thank you for that. It's it's rough, you know. Oh, yeah. So do you think that, you know, going through all of that, um, you know, in, in your in your parenting life, how do you think that helped you as a business, 
as a business owner? Oh, I feel like it it helped me in every aspect of my life. I know there's there's this thing that Karen says where she says crafting specifically, like craft businesses, this is the heart and soul work. And what I also know about having a business at all is it takes growth personally to run a business. It mm-hmm. it, it really Honestly, if you haven't grown up yet and you start a business in order to really run that business, you're going to be forced to grow up, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, a, it's a thing that you don't really think it is connected until you're in it, you know, and I know that experiences make you stronger. And while that experience made me stronger as a person, I had to push through a lot of uncertainty and I feel like entrepreneurship is full of uncertainty. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's a it's a, a roller coaster, you know, but if you you like it's the thrill of it all. You know, it's the whole idea of that that destination that you're trying to get to, you know, your goals. But it's the passion behind it that keeps you going. But at the same time, when I get to those struggle points, when I get to, you know, things when things don't go the way I want them to, um, when plans don't work out, you know, I like systems, I like planning. So when things don't go the way I don't want them to, I have to refer back to when I didn't have control because that situation with my daughter, I didn't have control over her being in the hospital. I didn't have control over her um, being born early. I didn't have control over when she came home. You know, that whole experience, I had no control over. And in business, there are a lot of things that even if I do the work and, you know, show up and all of the things, I don't necessarily have control over. So I just refer to that strength and what got me through that situation. I just apply that to every other area when I feel that same, you know, sense of insecurity or, you know, uncertainty and it almost always reminds me you've been through way worse. You know, and if you can get there, this is a walk, a cakewalk, you know? Yeah. And see, in business, you can always make a pivot. You know, not all the time in parenthood could you make a pivot. Like, some things you just have to deal with. (laughs) But in business, some things you can make a pivot or if it don't work right now, you can come back to that later. So there, there is a little bit of more flexibility mm-hmm. uh, in business, but you are so right when you said there has to be growth. And then if you're not at that level of maturity, it forces you to be. I always say business is like marriage. It will expose your flaws. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It will definitely expose that. So Adrian, what What's the very first thing that you made? Because you've been crafting since a young age. Do you remember what your what was the first thing you ever made? Oh wow, the very first thing I ever made. Who now? I'm I ain't no spring chicken. Okay, look, I'm gonna try to think. About it. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will be 41 in less than 60 days. So I'm like, let me okay. See. Well, uh, we were uh, the same age. Yes, uh, if you can't think of the first thing, like, did your arts and crafts start when you were in preschool or was it a community program? Like, how did how did you get started? I feel like arts and crafts were just the things that I was exposed to in school and um, 
camps. I went to, you know, vacation Bible schools and oh yeah, that in the summer. I enjoyed the crafty parts of all of it. Like that was always the highlight for me. And Same. any glue coloring, I mean, anything really, all of the things, I just enjoyed it. But I didn't necessarily, you know, that young really know, oh, I really got a, a thing for this. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't until I, I started to get older and, you know, had like Pinterest and things like that around you that kind of inspire you to do things and to be crafty. And you see other people doing crafty things. And when you see something, I think the transition of me really knowing I had I had a thing for crafts is when I would see things and be like, I can make that, you know, instead of <laughs> instead of oh, I want to buy that. I would be like, no, I can make that. I'm going to try to make that, you know. Um, yeah. So it was, it's been forever. Like it's, it's really just, it really just runs together because it's, it's just a part of me now. Like it's been forever. Yeah. Um, you know, when we look at, uh, well, today I'm grateful to see more and more parents are crafting with their kids. So their kids have an appreciation for arts and crafts because at one time it kind of like became, um, watered down mm-hmm. because of all this technology. And don't get me wrong, technology has its advantages. I mean, let's face it, we're able to do this. Right. <laughs> we're able to do business online, right? Without exactly. having overhead and all of this other stuff. But there has to be a time to unplug from that. You know, do everything in moderation. And so those programs that we grew up with in like the 80s and the 90s, right? Girl Scouts, vacation Bible schools, uh, after school programs before budgets got cut. Mm-hmm. Those programs came in handy. So, you know, we were exposed to a lot of things. And even when we did science fair projects, right? There was some type of crafting, you know, I don't know about you, but like, if you wanted your letters to be different from everybody else, you got you did stenciling, you mm-hmm. did, you know, some people had really nice handwriting, so they did calligraphy, mm-hmm. you know, for their uh, headings and so forth. So arts and crafts don't have to always be full blown, but it can be incorporated into so many different elements of what you do. And it's just a um it's just a great way to unplug from things and that's a space where you can honestly be yourself. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it's so, so my daughter, you know, you were talking about crafting with kids. She's six now. She just turned six. Um, but uh-oh. she's been calling herself a designer since she was like three. <laughs> <laughs> Was it because she was around all of the arts and crafts supplies and she got inspired with maybe the fabric or the embellishment? It was really because she's like, since she's been around, I've been doing the things that I do. So I have all of these beads and, you know, paper and stickers and anything crafty. I pretty much have it paints and she's been drawn to it. And part of it, I know, you know, it's your mom. You want to do what your mom does. You want to be like your mom. Mm-hmm. But I sense in her, I sense her own, like, connection to it as well. 
I'm trying not to like push her in that direction because, you know, I'm crafty. I want you to be crafty. I want you to work for me, all the things, right? But right. at the same time, I want her to, I want her to develop her love for it first. And then I can just kind of cultivate that, you know? But yeah. she has her own bead board. She has beads. She has string. Um, she's made her own little bracelets and necklaces. Like she she does her own little thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. And whether she grows up to like it or not, one thing you can say, she can say is you created a memory for her to have. Yes. Yep. And sometimes, you know, it, it comes a moment where they may go through that part of life where they may not touch anything related to craft, but then as they get older, they might return back to it. Most crafters return back to it. Mm-hmm. And that that was something that I did. I did go through a period uh, like my teen years where I didn't do too much of it. But now that I think about it, I was always drawn to buying accessories that were handmade versus mass produced. And if it was something in the store, I would look for the one that only had one or two in stock. Okay. And then, you know, years passed by, and then uh, I was interested in making chainmail, learning how to make chainmail jewelry. And then that's when my love of crafts had um, sparked back up. Okay. And I wouldn't even say the love of it left. I would just say that uh, because I always had an appreciation for handmade, but I just returned back to actually doing them. Mm -hmm. So it's a difference between that and like, your love for it is gone. So now your group is rock, paper, scissors. Can you talk about that? Like every, you know, when I saw that, the, the little jingle, you know, I got a one-year-old. And so <laughs> one of his sing-alongs they do is rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> so that song just came to my mind. Uh, could you uh, tell listeners uh, what your group is and what it's about? Yes. So I started, I started the group, um, it's called, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yes. Of call on, I had turned it on. Sorry. Um, my group actually just, I just launched my group actually in June, if I'm not mistaken. And it's called Mm -hmm. the the Rock, Paper, Scissors Community. And it's basically a community where my VIPs, Um, My students, prior students, current students, future students who want to learn more about crafting in ways of beads, um, paper crafts, earrings, business, the business side of it. Um, And it's a place for me to offer the things that I love. You know, I do demonstrations in there. I do sales in there. Um, I just love sharing what I love and I, I want to be able to share that with people who want to see it, you know, who are, who have that interest in it, you know, um, and it just basically, basically gives me a community for that. It's called the Rock, Paper, Scissors community on Facebook. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's been wonderful. I was a little apprehensive because it seems like so much work to run a group, Um <laughs> So I've been fighting it for a while, but it was very much necessary, honestly. And I'm glad because, you know, the thing is with business, you have to build community and doing that on Instagram and having the business Facebook page, you know, that's cool. But actually doing it 
in an actual community that is yours. You know, I'm a part of a lot of different communities on Facebook, but this one being mine, it feels more like I'm building a relationship with my people, you know? So I feel like anyone who wants to, you know, be around quality, you know, materials, because I'm all about quality. Okay. I love the best. everything that's that's going to be the place to be yeah and with jewelry making quality is everything you know you you know i've went to one of the things i always used to tell people sourcing your materials take time with that you know go to different shows and not just the same shows because if you went to a bead show in march that same bead show comes back in october Nine times out of ten, they're gonna have the same stuff. Like they're they they have that stuff in mass quantities. Mm-hmm. So it's not gonna lead you know, you're gonna see that same thing for a year. And trying to go to shows in other states, you know, like the big jewelry bead show is in uh Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Every year, January the last week of January, first week of February. And it'd be a week long, you know, but you get to look at gemstones, you get to look at crystals, you get like, it's a lot of different things you can do. And then some of the stores like uh, where Rio Grande is not a bead shop, it's in New Mexico, that's more for metalsmiths. But some of their top tier customers are usually invited to that store just to see new items out out there. So give us a, and then when you're sourcing material for anybody that's listening, that's in jewelry making, when you're sourcing materials, another piece of advice would be give it time to really see the quality, especially when you're adding embellishments to the beads, because not every embellishment is equal. Some of that stuff tarnish within a couple of days and some, it, it waits, on, you know, it may be a couple of weeks. So hold on to it for like a month or so. Then see if it's of quality, because the worst thing you want is to put an item for sale. It looks good. People buy it. People receive it. And then you get all of these bad reviews because the embellishments have tarnished. Yes. And, and that's, you know, that's something you learn to... Mm-hmm. You don't have if you don't have any kind of training or mentor, like it's it's really a learning curve because I know for me when I started I didn't know that I didn't know a lot about metals and you know what nickel really meant you know I didn't know about yeah. going into a Michaels and just purchasing some one ninety nine pack of jump rings versus knowing what the the jump ring is made out of you know so I I made some mistakes. You know, but nowadays I feel like there's all these craft communities that you can learn from. You can get mentorship. You can join memberships. There's a lot of resources and I would just encourage people to utilize those resources. Um, I teach classes, of course, because I want to help someone else avoid all of that, you know, because I have plenty of pieces that I've made for myself and others who have lasted but we can't wear them because of the tarnish of the metals and things, you know? So it's a hard lesson to learn, but you definitely have to pay attention to that. Right. And then sometimes, you know, like copper is that one metal that's pretty flexible, has health benefits (laughs) as well back in the day. Copper is one of those, you know, it'll get 
darker, but you can brighten it. So um, one of the things I used to do is tell people how to how to clean copper because you can clean it with ketchup and it shines back like new. You can put it in a cup of Coca-Cola and it shines new. Mm-hmm. And I like that as a teenager, I never mm-hmm. forget um, this man put a rusty penny in a cup of Coke. And within a few seconds, it was, it was, it looked brand new. So, um, you know, it's those type of care instructions that adds value, you know, to, uh, what you're giving customers. Like, you know, let's face it, jewelry is an oversaturated segment of crafts and it has been, it has been, um, quite saturated for, for a couple years now, but, you want to, uh, especially the beaded jewelry, but you want to set yourself apart. And that's a good way to set yourself apart, you know, is educate the community and to provide those instructions on how to deal with certain metals and get to know the different types of metals. And, you know, you'll understand, you know, what goes well with skin types, Mm-hmm. And, and so forth, you know, because nickel, people have uh, allergic reactions to that. So copper is usually a versatile one. Uh, stainless steel is not sterling silver, but it holds. It's durable, right? right? And it works, you know. So, you know, you could, you know, use that. You can use some people, you know, aluminum is one of those. It's softer and it doesn't tarnish. So those are, you know, things to always educate, you know, especially, you know, in the jewelry making community. So uh, with rock, paper, scissors, does this include, because I know you also teach crafters how to create systems in their business, because as much as you want to be creative, you have to take care of business too. Is this part of the uh, group, or is this, or is the teaching them how to create the systems something different? So the the school of rock paper scissors is my academy where I teach all of the things. So all of my courses are considered to be under the school of rock paper scissors. The rock paper scissors community is just the place for the students and you know enthusiasts and people who just love to see it to come congregate, get special deals, and um, so on and so forth. The SOPs for creatives, that is my newest baby. And I I have a separate community for that because I actually have an ebook. Um, it's called Reclaiming My Time, Reclaim Your Time and Make More Money Using SOPs in Your Creative Business. And mm-hmm. I sell the ebook. I sell the ebook plus package, which the package comes along with a workshop with me where I actually work with you in a group setting on Zoom. We go through the ebook and do the steps. We turn on music, you know, set a timer and just, you know, push it out, get it done. And by the end of that session, you have your SLP, your first SLP documented. And it also comes with a community where we support each other in completing the SLPs for the rest of our business. I drop tips and tricks in there. I can I go in there and do these workshops regularly. So it's a one-time fee to get in there. And that is a totally separate community because I want there to be a focus 
for that. You know, I feel like it's good to keep things kind of compartmentalized where that's concerned because I want people to be able to get what they need. And if they're not, you know, if they're not here for that, that's perfectly fine. You know, you can be in rock, paper, scissors on its own. So that's a paid group and that is a separate community. But everywhere you see me, everywhere, you know, that I am, everything I'm affiliated with, I'm always trying to talk to the crafter about SOPs because it's so important. I'm actually a a yellow belt, Six Sigma. So when I got certification last year, was it last year? Yeah. I get the years since 2020, it's been a blur. So excuse me, but I got my yellow, my yellow belt certification last year on my job and they actually paid for it. And somehow the light bulb went off. I was like, I can use this in my business. Like, what am I doing? I'm tripping. So I instantly started to apply it and realized how much it could help, not just me, but other, you know, crafters in business to have their back office in their, their craft spaces, you know, ready to do the bigger things. So I'm constantly talking about it. I mean, and people don't really want to hear it, <laughs> but I'm still talking about it, you know, because I know we need it. Like we really. Oh, need it. oh yeah. It's definitely neat. Now for those who are listening and don't understand what uh, standard operating procedures are, can you tell them what it is and why they should do it? Absolutely. So I like to tell a crafter because, you know, I want you to understand that it is a corporate principle, but just because it's a corporate principle doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to a small business. It also doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to our crafty businesses. We are viable business owners and our businesses are legit businesses and we should treat them that way. So what it really is, as it pertains to your crafts business is it's what you do, how you do it and where you do it. It's like a roadmap to your completed product. These, these procedures are how you get the same consistent output every time. And what I also like to point out is that if you had to hire someone or, you know, you brought in someone to volunteer for you, an intern, if you're, you're a crafter, right? And you make something and you like the way you make it. You want them to be able to do the same thing if they're going to help you, you know, do the thing that you're you're selling to your customer. So if you mm-hmm. want them to be able to do that, you have to have a good blueprint on how to get there. And I think a lot of us are so clenched on our, our product. We don't want, we don't really want somebody coming in and helping us create the thing, right? But that's because we don't know that they can do it the way that we do it. You know, we want to be in control of that output, that final product. So SOPs are basically getting everything out of your head onto paper so that you aren't the only person with the knowledge. And if something happens today, tomorrow, you don't want to go down and then your whole business has to go down with you. Right. You want to have a place so that somebody can come in and help you keep that thing going. Yeah. And, you know, we both are accounting professionals by day, right? And I don't know about you, Adrian, but in my career, I have written um, policy and procedures manuals uh, in the different uh, roles that I served. So it's very important because anything could happen. And this year was a good example of that, right? My son called RSB twice Mm -hmm. within the eight months that he's that he was in daycare. Oh. So, you know, that's another week out with him. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because when he gets it, he has these asthma-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I always have to make sure his lungs are just clear. And, you know, that's doctor's visits. And it's not an antibiotic for it. Right. You just got to, you know, go go through it and make sure ventilation and everything is in place. So, uh, and then I had surgery. Nothing major, um, but I had, you know, to have tissue removal. So, you know, I was, you know, out for a while. And then me and my son caught the flu and we were out for two weeks. So mm-hmm. the whole month of June was just gone, right? right? But if there wasn't any procedures in place uh, where I could, you know, ask somebody, hey, can you help do this or could you maintain this? You know, let's say it was a serious project you were working on and you reached out to get whether it's a virtual assistant or, you know, somebody who you can trust to, uh, you know, at least send out the emails, right? Well, it needs to be a document of that somewhere on how to do it. And like you said, when you used to doing stuff so long, on one hand, you'll complain about being a one-person show, but then on the other hand, you like it, right? (laughs) You you know, you don't want to, it's like, you don't want to give up the control you feel. And granted, people do steal your ideas and, and processes, but you have to, in business, one of the things that I've, I've learned is figure out a way to remove yourself from things so that you can spend time doing the things that will make money. That is the thing right there. Yes. Yeah. And the, the first step of that is figuring out how much your time is worth. Yes. Like for me right now, my time is worth $208 an hour. Okay. So when you asking me, can I pick your brain or this or that? No, because <laughs> my time is worth this. I need to recover two to three times that amount for the one hour that I'm spending towards that. Exactly. And, you know, when you, but when you learn how much your time costs, You'll be more cognizant of what shows to vendor at. You'll be cognizant of where you're going to spend your days doing. Then you'll know what to outsource. So, you know, $10 work, $20 work, you could get on Fiverr or Upwork and get somebody to help you. Exactly. You know, but that you said that about the stealing, the stealing. I feel like that's a mindset, you know, when you're, focus is being concerned about someone taking your secret sauce and in my demo my um, informational session I have to address that because no one can take our secret sauce you know I teach people how to do what I do I teach people how to make earrings I teach people how to make bangles I teach people how to make bracelets but I can do that confidently because I know what I have is mine my my eye my my brain you know my my touch so I had to not think about it like someone can take my procedures or take my ideas. You can take the the basics of it, but if you're copying off of everything I'm doing, you're always going to be one step behind. Right, because you got to wait on somebody else to create the template 
for you. And then you'll always find yourself piecemealing too, right? Yeah. Because you'll drain up resources here, then you'll go in another group, do that. And then like crafts is a billion dollar industry, but it's still a niche market. So word gets out, you know, if you are a taker. Yes. Yeah. So now you are a vendor, approved vendor with one of the um, beating groups on Facebook. How did that get to be? I actually, I inquired. I know I saw that people were posting and I could see that they would say, you know, vendor approved or approved vendor. And that group is in particular is Bougie Black Beaters. That I saw that a few times and I wasn't really posting in the group. I was kind of just commenting and looking around, just trying to get the feel of it. And I just reached out to one of the admin just to see, you know, how do you become a vendor? And that's when she told me that they're closed for now. When you do, when they open up, it's like a process of applying and they have to check everything out and approve you. So that it took a while before they opened it back up. But when they did, she actually let me know that they had opened it up again. So I applied. Um, it's just, you know, they ask you basic questions and then you they get you in. They approve you or, you know, or not because they can only approve so many. But I got approved the first time I applied. So that was awesome because that's a group of people that. I want to be in front of, you know, beginners, right. get beaters for, you know, hobby. You know, those are the type of people that I want to get in front of specifically for the School of Rock, Paper, Scissors. So it's a good thing. Yeah, that was a great opportunity. And um, it's funny, I never knew that they had a vendor. And I've been a part of the group maybe a couple of years. And I'm like you, I do, I participated in it from time to time when I could, but, um, you know, not too much. And I would see the feed and everything, but I didn't know. Now, for someone who's listening and they are into beating and they want to be an approved vendor, because you said that uh, now is the process a lengthy process? Like, what's the turnaround time um, between when you apply and then when you hear a response? So I would say I'm assuming that it will vary based on the group. But for this particular opportunity that I had, I think it, it probably took them a couple of weeks to go through their process of um, deciding who was going to be a vendor. The application itself was really just not, it wasn't a lot of questions at all. It was really just kind of explaining what you would be selling, um, making sure you understand their policies or their requirements and that you agree to that. And you know, they have policies as far as shipping products to people, you know, because they have to protect themselves. Essentially, you becoming a vendor is them kind of backing you, you know. So yeah. you have to go through these motions of understanding what they require and making sure that you're on board with that. But it was literally I, I completed that part of it in a few minutes. And then I just had to wait until they made the decision. And like I said, it probably was a couple weeks tops. Oh, that's not bad at all. And uh, you said something because when you are going into partnerships, it's important to have an understanding of what you expect and what the other party expects. And a lot of times we think partnerships are about us. It's really about how 
we can better be a better fit for the other party as well, you know, more so than how they can be a better fit for us. Because in partnerships, you give, you know, yeah. and they give to, to you, you know. So it is give and take, but you're not just giving a little bit and taking a whole lot. You're giving your fair share and you're taking your fair share as well. So in your experience, because you also have a partnership with Miss CEO, uh, also known as Karen Baxter. How did that opportunity come? And for those that don't know who she is, can you briefly tell them a little bit about her? Yes. So Karen Baxter, a.k.a. Miss Creative CEO, she is a creative craft coach. She's a mindset coach. She is everything in these craft streets. Um, if you have not heard of her, you know, you got to get on board because she oh, literally yeah. changed my life. Um, I found her in a group called Black Girls Craft in 2020, right before the pandemic. I think actually I found her in 2019. I sat in my car on New Year's Eve and listened to her speaking on live in a car on New Year's Eve. Okay. And because she was speaking to me so clearly I just wanted to make sure that I caught everything. So I didn't even get out the car until she was off the live. It was hours, okay? And I instantly connected with her because she was talking about the, the issues that I was going through as far as trying to grow my business and not knowing where to start. And so she's a crafter. She's been crafting for 20 plus years. She's been doing business for even longer. Um, and she's now a coach, you know? And so at that time she was not coaching yet. And I followed her. I watched every live. I, I wanted to be in any classes. Like I really just kind of clung to her. And when she was speaking, she was very powerful and she was teaching me things without even knowing you know, me without me even knowing her either. So at one point, particular point, she opened up an opportunity to be be a beta tester for her upcoming coaching program. Of course, I raised my hand quickly, you know, let me sign up, you know, and I was became a beta tester. And then she had an in-person class and I took that class. I met her in person and I just was like, I need her to coach me like I need her. Right. But I was not in a position because I hadn't been making any money. I was just really getting back into the swing of things. And I didn't have the investment to hire her. And like at the time, like I said, she hadn't had a, a full coaching program yet anyway. So fast forward, I'm I'm really big on prayer. So I'm going to reference that I was praying about it, you know, because that is literally what gets me through. And even with my business, I was just like, Lord, I need help. I think I need a team, you know, but I'm just going to follow your lead. You can just show me where can I get help? Because I really need to do this. I want this and I really need to do it for my baby. You know, I need to give her more than just this nine to five that's working me to death. And I'm not going to have anything to necessarily show for it after the fact. You know, I want to give her something. So I just wanted to be in alignment and I kind of just stopped trying to figure out what it was, I was just allowing myself to be led. And it literally led me to Facebook to be in her presence, to, you know, listen to her speak. And she actually reached out to me during these times when I was, you know, asking for this help and asked if I wanted to work behind the scenes with her and help her monitor, um, moderate her group. And I was just like, absolutely. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, it was not a paid gig, but 
the relationship. I knew this lady could help me, right? So I'm like, I can help you do something. You can help me get myself together with my business. Absolutely. I'm 100% down, you know? And sometimes we have to give a little to get what we need. And I've always been, you know, helpful in that way. So I got with her then. I literally, in 2019, no, in 2020, she helped me to make moves and position myself to make, I want to say I made four times my revenue in 2021 than I did in 2020. Like just from implementing things that she taught me. And it was just eye-opening. It was mind-blowing, right? She exposed so many things. She has a relationship with a lot of the well-known brands, Michael's stores. She had a 12-week series with Michael's. She featured me as one of the guest um, instructors. So I got to teach a class on Michael's platform. What? Oh, wow. (laughs) You know, I mean, that was exciting for me because I hadn't done anything like that before. Um, I also was interviewed on one of her Michael's um, platform shows. She talked to me about my business and, you know, what I had been doing and what I had coming up. I launched my School of Rock, Paper, Scissors that same year, which was in 2021. Fast forward, she had a relationship with a business owner who opened a store. I became a vendor in this store. That was my first time having my products sold in a boutique in Lawrenceville, Georgia. So it's been so many different things that just that connection, you know, just being in the at the right tables can put you in positions to elevate. And I feel like that connection with her will always be special to me because she helped me shape my shape my business up to get me to where I need to be. Now I'm not there yet. Okay. But I'm definitely <laughs> on my way. I'm definitely yeah. And first of all, congratulations on all of that. Um, those are huge opportunities and being a beta you know, sign up to beta test because a lot of times people don't want to get in on ground level. They want to wait until things are solid or everybody else is doing it. And, and, you know, when you start to, when you do your social media posts, like in the beginning with, you know, your beating business, you probably got a few interactions here and there, Mm -hmm. but then once you might've been at a show or your product was seen somewhere, more people started to follow the page, like the page, look through some of your feeds, right? But then when you got that opportunity with Michael's platform, then your last majority started coming, right? So you got people going to the website, they might have bought a product or two, they might have, you know, liked your page, followed your page, uh, join your mailing list and all that. So, you know, you, you, you will see, you know, your early adopters, your first majorities, your last majorities, and then you're going to have laggards, right? Your laggards are just who they are. All of that is nice, but I'm still going to support such and such, such and such, mm-hmm. right? So it's a bell curve. But when you were a beta, you know, that gave you, first of all, it was free coaching. (laughs) Secondly, you got a chance to see how coaching works. You got to understand another component of a craft business. So that was good. But because you put that foot forward, you built the relationship. And, you know, when it comes to business, you building relationships are key. 
mm-hmm. you know, because you can't go at this stuff alone and you don't know everything. You have to always be a student. And then you got into the opportunities with Michaels. But, you know, all of that was, even though all of that was said, if you didn't have operating systems in place, you wouldn't have been able to walk into that opportunity. And the reason why is because you wouldn't have had no direction or focus. Mm-mm. You know, so for for those who are listening, that's another reason why you want to have your uh, operations in place. And it don't have to be a 50-page manual. Matter of fact, no. you don't do that no more unless you're a franchise. And that's something altogether different. But you can do Google Docs or a regular Word document, and you can list the different tasks that are in your business, and then you bullet point the step-by-step on how something is done. And then as you grow, those procedures can be fleshed out. And then uh, you revisit them every so often because it might be a faster way to do something, a better way to do something. And some steps don't even need to be required. So in case you're wondering, do you have to have certain software? or No, you could just use a regular Word document. Yes, it's very simple. Um, and that's yeah. why I like to I like to tell people if you're unsure, if you really just want more information, that's why I do so many of these info sessions. I actually have one after this meeting um, now because I want people to understand that you know it sounds so intimidating. I always get that when I first heard it, it was so intimidating, and it's it's not. You know, it's as detailed or as simple as you make it. Yes, they are. And I want to apologize because I did forget to add creative because Karen does uh, call herself Miss Creative. She's known as Miss Creative CEO. So I do apologize for that. And I'm also um, happy to see she recently opened up a studio. Uh, did, did you go? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. How, I actually, how was it? It's, it's beautiful, first of all. The ambiance is everything. But I actually will be instructing classes there as well in person. So that's Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. I do know uh, quite a few people that live in Atlanta and the surrounding suburbs. Um, so if they ever are looking for something to do, um, I'll, you know, I'll tell them about the studio and let me know. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure you're uh, posted in the groups that we're in on yeah. the uh, different classes that you are teaching. And so again, uh, Adrian, it, you have done a lot. And again, in addition to parenting by yourself. Yes. So, and working a full-time job. Uh, I just want to, you know, say congratulations on everything. Uh, you have accomplished a lot. And sometimes you don't realize what all you have done until you talk about it with someone else or you write it down. Yes. And you, you, you have, you have done uh, a lot and you've, you know, done some amazing things and you're position. Throughout this whole interview, I hear positioning. You've always positioned yourself to grow in some type of way. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was just a pleasure having you on Crafty Hands Club podcast. I wish you all the success in the world. Uh, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I just like to see 
people winning, you know, you know, when you do the work and, you know, you be consistent and you, you willing to always, you know, do what you can and give it a try. I'm all for that. Um, because I know, you know, this is a journey. It's a marathon. It's not, it's not quick, you know, it's not overnight, Mm -hmm. but, um, you're going to make some, some kind of stride. So, uh, again, thank you so very much for uh, being a guest on the uh, podcast. And before we end, can you tell listeners where they can find you, uh, website, social media pages, and so forth? And I will also include it in the description of this episode. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me. You can find me at Unique Designs on Instagram. It's at, I mean, I'm sorry, it's at Unique Designs on Facebook. And that's spelled Y-O-U-N-E-A-K Designs, spelled normally as D-E-S-I-G-N-S. And then on Instagram, you can find me at The Unique Designs. And that's T-H-E-Y-O-U-N-E-A-K D-E-S-I-G-N-S. And my website is www.uniquedesigns.com. And at all of those places, you spell unique, Y-O-U-N-E-A-K. Okay. Well, Adrian, thank you. Once again, thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you love this episode, go ahead and share it on your social media page, uh, tag Crafty Hands Club Mag, and use hashtag CHC Podcast. Again, CHC Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, See you next time. Thank you so much. Yay! To learn more about Crafty Hands Club, please visit our website, www.craftyhandsclub.com. Thank you for listening to the Crafty Hands Club podcast. Come back and join us next week.